Welcome to another Sustainable Wine Podcast with me, Toby Webb, and I'm delighted that joining me in today's podcast is Adrian Bridge, who's Chief Executive Officer of Taylor's Port and the Fladgate Partnership. So welcome to the podcast, Adrian. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thanks very much, Toby. Nice to be here and to be talking about a very important subject like sustainability. Well, yes, indeed. Um, so just for our listeners who aren't familiar with what you do day to day, Adrian, what's your kind of background and, and what do you do for a living? Well, so I run a company called Taylor's Port, which was founded back in 1692. So we've been around now for 328 years and, and uh, we're growing port in, in the Douro Valley. Um, Douro Valley is probably one of the most beautiful wine regions of the world and certainly one that is, like many wine regions, being impacted by climate change. As a business, we've been working in this area for 20 to 30 years, but we've certainly decided recently to uh, make a greater or a higher profile uh, effort to bring along uh, many other wine companies in similar positions to us, where we think by working together, we can uh, make more of uh, of a change. And I think, to be honest, I think it's important that a company that has already been around 328 years probably has the credibility to talk about what things are going to be like in you know, 20, 50 or 100 years time. Uh, whereas obviously, if we'd only started the business a few years ago, people might ask a question, you know, why tailors? Indeed. Um, so did you have a road to Damascus moment? You often find this with people who, you know, suddenly one day something happens and they think, I've got to take a leadership position on sustainability. Did that happen for you or was it more of a kind of gradual process to do with the brand heritage and so on? No, well, we've been doing a lot as a business for, as I say, nearly 30 years. And what we've tended to do is share that with our farmers um, and help them to become more sustainable. And certainly, you know, I've written over the years on on the subject, certainly as it impacts the Douro Valley, particularly uh, water, uh, the damming of our river and the impacts of the new ways of planting in the Douro. I think for me there wasn't a specific moment so much as to say that I was getting frustrated by constantly hearing people talk about the problem and people not talking about the solutions. And, you know, quite frankly, the world is changing very, very quickly. And if we keep just debating the problem, we are not going to get on with solving anything. And so, you know, a few years ago, I decided that we really needed to take a greater leadership issue. As I say, we've been helping our farmers to uh, improve their sustainability. We wanted to take it to a wider audience. We really kicked that off in 2015 by helping to create a an association of professional farmers in the Douro. And then, you know, probably what's more notable was that by the summer of 2018, launching something called the Porto Protocol, where I was able to invite uh, President Obama, uh, amongst other speakers, to come and, and launch the Porto Protocol, which was an attempt to try to bring wine producers around the world together to try to solve a common problem. So looking at the Porto Protocol website, it's a fairly modest description of itself as a sort of sharing platform. But I know you're more ambitious about than that with it. What would you like it to achieve in the next, say, five years? Well, I think the Porto Protocol serves as both a platform for exchange of ideas, but I think it's also, to a certain extent, a movement. Um, you know, although Taylor's Board has been very involved in launching it, uh, that's really a sense that somebody's got to take a leadership position and start to push things forward. But otherwise, everybody talks about it. Everybody's waiting for somebody else to act. And it seems to me that, that this issue is too pressing. And irrespective of the cost, if you like, to our company, we've got to get out and take a leadership position. So we've invested a very considerable amount of money in, in the Porto Protocol because, you know, the, the, 
Porto as a word, it might be associated with the drink that we make, but it's, it's, it's a niche part of the wine industry. And so we don't really um, com compete with anyone in particular, but we are in fact known across the world because you know we've been doing port for 300 years. So, so there is a credibility there. And I think that there is an opportunity for us to bring people together to talk about a common, um, a, a common need to find solutions. Because, you know, what we find in the Dora Valley or what you'll find in any other wine region is that the, the climate does not finish at the boundary of your vineyard. And it's a very difficult concept for many people to understand because everybody tends to naturally look inwards towards their business, but forget that sometimes the external factors are things that are making a bigger change to, to your, your business and your P&L. And I'll give you a very good example of that in the Dora Valley where we've got lots of small farmers. Um, in recent years, because we've had climatic conditions that are quite testing for, uh, for growing grapes, that is to say they've been extremely good for disease like um, oidium, um, that what's happened is small farmers who've abandoned their vineyards, those vineyard areas become incubators for disease. And then the problem with that is it's forcing the neighbors um, to do more treatments. So actually, uh, what, what's taking place is that there are more interventions with more chemicals, more tractors moving through vineyards to solve a problem that could easily be solved by taking out of production the abandoned vineyards. But, but that requires government uh, initiatives, clearly, because we are a regulated industry. But unless people are going to call attention to it and, and explain to everybody that the environmental damage of not taking action is sometimes much worse than actually doing something, um, then, then frankly, you know, unless people can call out these things, nothing will change. And I think that's, if you look at the wine industry, wine industry, I think, has got an immense amount of, of strength. Um, it's a, it, it might be a fragmented industry, but it's a global industry. We broadly grow the same crop all over the world. It's the same vine and, you know, it might be different varieties of it, but it, it grows in the same way. And actually, fun enough, we, as an industry, often support very remote, uh, remote regions where no other crops will grow. So that responsibility, often that's been taken on for generations, um, is something that differentiates the wine industry. But so does that intergenerational um, thinking, because we make great wines today from vines that were planted by the previous generation. And when we plant our vines, it's really for the generation to come. So that long-term thinking is vital. I think the other thing is that we are the only branded agricultural industry in the world. And if you think about that, all of us consume agricultural-based products on a daily basis. But only when we consume a bottle of wine do we actually know precisely where all of the contents have actually come from. And indeed, when you look at the label, it'll give you the name of the person, it'll give you the name of the winery. If you were to phone them up, they can probably give you the GPS of where the, the vines themselves are. So that, that sense of place, it, what we in the industry call terroir, but that sense of place um, is, is very, very important. And the final thing I'd say about the wine industry is that we talk to the end consumer. And because the end consumer does care about this issue, we can actually transmit what we're doing positively. And I think this is the key, key point here is that there are lots of wine companies that are doing a lot of good things around the world, but they tend to be doing it in their own little area and preserving their own information, their own research and development, because all managing directors, all CEOs, all people are told, you know, hold on, 
do your research, but hold on to your data. It's a proprietary, uh, a proprietary information that's going to help your business. Mm. And the point is, when it comes to climate, you know, it's it's about everybody. It's not about one individual company. So, in fact, what we should be doing is sharing. And the reality is, lots of wine companies are doing a huge amount. Yeah. They're doing it in their areas, but what they've got to do is share um, share that information across the world with other wine companies who are uh, seeking out solutions. And so my ambition for the Porto Protocol is it becomes a place where people go for solutions, solutions to problems, to get ideas that allow them to immediately start to implement change and not fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm not really sure what I should go and do. Let's do a small research project or a pilot project and wait years and years and years, but actually go find something that works and implement. So do you see an opportunity for the Porto Protocol or another process to kind of map everything that's going on, put it all in one place? I mean, we were talking earlier about the Barcelona Supercomputing Center, who I've interviewed recently in Spain, who are helping some producers in Priora predict yeah. short-term weather volatility. But that information did not reach you and you're only one country ne- you know, next door. So is there a need for sort of mapping out all these initiatives and pointing out where the good practice that's, that's got cross-learnings is available? It seems to me that it's needed. Well, I, I would agree with you. I think it is needed, I, but I think that 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 it tends to be a uh, led by people finding the information they want and finding it easily and finding it to be useful. And I think that's why we're we are trying. Our approach is to take a case study yeah. uh, led example, so people can look it up and say, "Well, I'm thinking about you know installing photovoltaic." You know, how do I go about it? Who's doing it? What can I expect from it? Um, and you know, if you can see companies that have already done that, you can probably call them up. And one of the things we encourage when people are sharing there, as members of the Porto Protocol, they are committing to share, but they're also making themselves available for other people to talk to them. I mean, the Porto Protocol is very light in the sense of what it asks people to do. There are no targets. I'm asking people to do more tomorrow than they're doing today. And and the reason why it's as simple as that is that very often if you have a target-based approach, you know, reduce your carbon footprint 10%, 20%, whatever the number is, that's great. But for many people, a target also becomes a barrier to action. You're not going to do something. It's too daunting. You don't know how to do your baseline, that sort of thing. Absolutely right. And, and you know, and any sensible person is probably going to figure out, well, first of all, what is my yeah. baseline? What is my carbon footprint? Yeah. And, and, you know, how am I going to go about dropping it 20% before they'll commit? Whereas actually, if you say do more tomorrow than you're doing today, it's pretty simple. Most people can get that immediately. And of course, yeah. it, it, it is asking for immediate action because this is a very immediate problem. So over time, how do you see that process ideally evolving? I mean, you know, we discussed earlier in other industries I'm familiar with, you know, you have these sort of global roundtables for sustainable X, where you share best practice. There's a separate standard maybe for smallholders. There are technical guidance documents. There are committees that say, okay, here's the best we know about GHG emissions protocol calculations, scope three emissions, whatever it happens to be. Does that need to happen in the wine industry? Or is it just too fragmented an industry for that to take hold? Well, I think it's very fragmented. um, But I also think that it's very difficult to lead from purely inside the industry a massive, great, big um, administrative bureaucratic structure that's going to force this upon people. And if you look at some of the most successful applications that we all use on a daily basis, be those TripAdvisor, to give you an example, 
that is content that is generated by users for users. Mm. And we all know that we go there to find an answer in that particular case, normally about an, a hotel we might wish to stay on. But, but there's nothing wrong with creating a platform whereby people are sharing uh, case studies and best practice and understanding that, that they need to give back to, to that platform by sharing their own successes. That keeps the central uh, element, element of it fairly light. And you know, what we don't want to do is to, is to try to set up in competition with other people. So if there are already people who are setting out to create an index, for example, of carbon footprint for wine companies, well, great, share that on the Porto Protocol, people will go and find it. So what we want to do is to try to coalesce all the efforts that are happening on a global basis, rather than to be some central point of, of, of dictating action and results. So we see in a number of regions around the world, countries or regions trying to brand themselves as sustainable. New Zealand famously has declared victory, which many people I know are quite skeptical of. In fact, one New Zealand winemaker told me it was um, a bit of a crock because there were no real targets. And you, you sort of just had to self-declare, you know, you were sustainable. And then California, there's several different competing um, sort of standards based depending on where you are. Um, how is that going in your region? I mean, you mentioned to me earlier that four companies control 75% of, of port. Um, would you agree that, do you think they all agree that sustainability is a pre-competitive issue and, and how can port perhaps create a more unified front? What needs to happen to, to make that change? Well, I think, you're, I mean, you're right in the sense that the port industry is very concentrated and you're right that obviously as that comes from a specific demarcated region, all of us are playing in a small valley, uh, the Douro Valley in northern Portugal, and therefore whatever happens in that valley impacts all of us. I think everybody has an understanding that climate has an important role to play and everybody is perhaps trying to deal with it in their own ways. Getting everyone to coalesce to, to work together always takes a little bit more time, particularly when you've got as you say, and, and as is true, you know, four companies that dominate 77% of the industry, they'll all feel that they may be giving away some competitive advantage if they work with their biggest competitor. Mm. But the reality is, is that climate does not end at the end of our vineyards. And so we have to work together. It's not a, it's not a choice. It is a necessity because if we wish to have a sustainable region for which we depend on for our business, then we have a responsibility to make that work. But I think we also have a responsibility to provide the leadership into that region because it's also, a re in our case, a region that's got 30,000 small growers. Mm. And many of those small growers probably feel that it's not their responsibility because there's a few big companies and they'll solve the problem. It's but another thing to eat into our margins, you know. Yes, I think, you know, I mean, look, the, the basis of all of everything to do with climate change is, is that all of us individually are part of the problem, right. but all of us individually are part of the solution. And no matter how small a step we take, how small a difference we individually make on a day-by-day -day basis, you just have to do the maths and multiplication to understand that when... Um, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of people all make small steps. It starts to add up to a huge amount of difference. And I think the, the, the beauty of the wine industry is that the fact that we're growing the same crop and all, all over the world, for example, take drought. I mean, we can go and discuss drought in, impact in, in the Douro or in, in Portugal or Spain or whatever. But in South Africa, they've been dealing with this issue for many, many years and have got proven solutions so you know 
why would we want to reinvent the wheel when we just simply need to talk to the South Africans? And that's where I feel, you know, modern technology comes to our help. You know, the World Wide Web is what it says on the tin. It is worldwide and it is a web. It reaches into every corner and we can use that to create a platform where we can exchange ideas. All we need to do is to have an individual recognition that in sharing those ideas, we're helping the common good and that by helping the common good, we will benefit mm -hmm. and we will not therefore wish to compete on grounds of climate, we'll compete on grounds of quality, taste, product, packaging, all the other things, but not climate. So a final question, um, lots of the conversations in sustainable business, in other areas, but also in wine, end up for me going slightly stuck on this consumer question. On the one hand, it's really hard to reach consumers. You go shopping on a wet Thursday night in November, you're just piling stuff into your car, you want to get home, feed the kids or, or whatever. It's very difficult to understand the 400 eco labels that exist in the world on products, yeah, yeah. and a lot of them are misleading. Right? So, so, but on the other hand, we've been doing research through my other company, Innovation Forum with Ipsos, on what young consumers want in three demographics in three countries. The evidence is overwhelming. They want more, they want it now, and they don't care about your business case. Yeah. Right? So we have this sort of collision of, of yeah. contradictions here with consumers. What is the way forward in, in trying to harness that power? Well, look, I think uh, what's very clear is that all companies will be judged by their impact to the environment and their ability to try to address this issue. I think. You've seen that, whether it comes from financial investors the size of uh, Blackstone CEO saying they're only going to invest in companies with a sustainable business model. I think the point you're getting to is that there's a risk that there's 101 different versions of a model and who actually knows what's what and what's good and what's greenwashing and what is just... Yeah. Um, we throw labels at consumers that they don't understand, and that we don't understand. Yeah. They can breed cynicism. Of course it can. Of course it can. And I, th I think, you know, and I fully understand that. And obviously, you know, a, a simple way to approach would be if you could have some sort of certification body. So if, for example, the Porter Protocol, we had some sort of sticker that therefore showed that people were adhering to a code of best practice, that would be very, very good. But like any of those things, you actually then got to go out and police it, yeah, um, and yeah. which, which which is very expensive. Again, if you look in the modern world, that the the most effective policing tends to be consumers calling things out for themselves, um, yeah. and so therefore, you know, the, one of the interesting things about the work, you know, the, the web is that there's no place to hide either. Um, so. You know, I think I think it does call for honesty. It calls for transparency. I think clearly with wine, we have to remember that it's a beverage for for choice of people wanting to enjoy a meal, relax, be with friends, and so on and so forth. I think as the industry, sometimes we take it too seriously, and we think that yeah. you know people need to have a PhD before they can you know um, enjoy a glass of wine, and, and and that's not what wine's about. It is about fun, but I think it's also about you know, the regions that it come from, the expression of that individual terroir, the sustainability of that region, I think is very, very important. And if you can see and understand that direct correlation, and I think it's possible with wine, then I think people will understand the benefits. So I'm afraid there isn't an easy solution. You cannot dictate to consumers. They will need to find their way through. Mm. But if they can get information that's clear, uh, that they can understand and is verifiable. Yeah. So again, you know, it's a, if an open platform exists on the web, somebody wants to go and check what the case study of what Taylor's Port is doing, they can. They can, they can find it. And they can then 
study that and understand that. And perhaps mm. what we will get shortly is a state that we will be able to index different companies against each other, which will help drive further change. Absolutely. And I do wonder sometimes if the wine industry hasn't accidentally created a rod for its own back on that point by segmenting itself into conventional, organic, biodynamic and natural, which are all quite, and then you have low sulfite, vegan. So we've sort of got these too many, it's a bit like that Monty Python sketch, isn't it? In the Life of Brian, where they said, you know, where's the people's front? He's over there, popular front, he's over there on his own. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a bit of Judean people's front versus the people's front of Judea sometimes. Do you feel that's a challenge? And I sort of think some of the purists need to kind of broaden their views a bit sometimes. Well, I, look, I think lots of people look for an edge in marketing and whether that's telling people that they are biodynamic or organic and then trying to explain to people the difference between the two because you know it's only probably a smaller group of people that understand that that difference um you know that that's great i mean i think i think a lot of what this is about is looking after your vineyards properly and doing what's right for your soil and your region and in order to produce the best quality wine and i think at the end of the day um, it's the, 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 the answers in the liquid once you open the bottle or, or go to a tasting and you can actually say, do I like this wine? You know, irrespective of whether it's organic or biodynamic or comes from, you know, it's vegan, comes from the region that you think, you know, do I like it? Because after all, you know, wine is something for uh, pleasure. Um, and I think people want to explore and understand it. It's a great beverage to explore and understand regions and cultures. Mm. At the end of the day, um, you know, consumers will always have a choice. I do have one final question, even though I said that consumers one was my last. We are here at Vin Expo in Paris, which is why, listeners, you can hear a bit of background noise. You've got a stand. We Gal has a stand. Moe Hennessy has invested a lot of money in sustainability at this event. It's big wine expo. Does, do these sorts of things give you cause for hope that this is spreading across the rest of the producers who are all exhibiting here. I mean, are you more optimistic now than you were a few years ago? Well, absolutely. I think it, it's great news to see leadership being taken. Um, the Moet Hennessy Group are clearly running a very major uh, set of activities and lectures uh, here at uh, Vin Expo in Paris. And the important point is the sharing information. And that information is coming from experts in their fields. And that, I think, is critical because it, it's putting into the hands of winemakers, winery owners, um, information that they need to start to immediately make a difference. I think the consumer pressure is there. Companies need to act. What they need to do is to know what to do. And whether it comes from a conference or whether it goes from uh, learning from a case study of what a company did a year ago or five years ago, the point is action is required. The time for talking has passed. The time for action is now. Adrian, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to your next Porto Porto conference, which I understand will be in 2021. Is that right? Correct. Yes, we'll be in uh, April of 2021. We'll be addressing the issue. But meanwhile, you can go to the Porto Protocol website and find out more about it from there. Excellent. We'll do that. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks so much indeed. indeed.